Come on, let's give it up for this amazing crew that's coming out this morning. Oh, come on, church, let's let them hear it. So good, so good. Hey, you can take your seats this morning. If I've not had the privilege and pleasure of meeting you just yet. My name is TJ, and I get to be the Spotsy Campus pastor, and uh, I'm so honored to get to be here today. I'm so honored to get to fill in for Pastor Daniel and be the host today, and I cannot wait to get into this message today. I promise you it's going to empower you. It's going to change your life. It's got an incredible crew that we have on this platform this morning. We've got six of our staff members, some who recently just joined the team, what, two weeks ago, and uh, they've got a word for you today that God is going to challenge you with, and I can't wait to get it. I know how they're feeling right now. They're anxious. They're excited. They're expectant for what God is going to do. I remember being in their seat about five years ago that I got my first opportunity to share a message here on a Sunday at LifePoint Church. It was through this opportunity that God showed me what he really called me to do, and I'm so grateful, number one, that God would trust me for an opportunity like that, but also because we have senior pastors that believe in the next generation and calling them up and pulling them to be everything that you call them to be. So come on, can we honor our senior pastors, Pastors Daniel and Tammy, we love you. So grateful for you. And uh, I'm gonna take the honor moment so they don't have to use all their time, but Pastor Daniel and Tammy, thank you so much. Thank you for believing in the next generation. Thank you for these opportunities for us to communicate God's word. And thank you for not being intimidated by putting people on the platform that God has given you and we honor, honor you today. Well, listen, I'm telling you today, y'all just better get ready. These people, they've been praying. They've been fasting. They have been losing sleep. (laughs) They've been doing all the things, getting ready for this message. And I need you to know this, that they have a word from God for you today. I know maybe some of you are like, oh man, Pastor Daniel's not here. Listen, let me tell you, God has a word for you today. Everybody say, God has a word for me. He has a word for you today. And so here's what I want you to do. Just what Pastor Daniel said, lean in, get out your notepads, get ready to take notes because there might be six different expressions. There might be six different voices. There might be six different stories, but it's all pointing to one story and that's the story of Jesus Christ. Come on, do you believe that church? And so I can't wait to get into it. So why don't you do me a favor, put your hands together, help me welcome our first communicator, Miss Brittany Cooper. Come on everybody. Hey, today I want to talk to you about mess and gratitude. My husband and I, we have three kids. Hudson is five, Rhett is three, and Scout is nine months old. And so as you can imagine, our life is a little bit messy. All the parents, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? It's like the laundry never ends, and why is my floor sticky? And gosh, I never realized how quickly Hot Wheels and Pokemon cards could take over my home. (laughs) And you know, while it's true that I'm in this season of a lot of physical messes, I am a wife and a mom and a friend and an employee, and these things, they begin to stack up, right? And they feel messy, they feel chaotic. And that's what I wanna talk to you about today. It's just the messiness of life itself. Because I believe that it's in those moments that if we'll choose gratitude, it could make all the difference. So what mess are you feeling overwhelmed by today? What burden are you carrying? What situation, if you're honest, has begun to feel hopeless? First Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now here's what the Holy Spirit has revealed to me through that verse in the messy seasons of my own life. It's that God's not asking us to give thanks for all things, 
but in all things. So that hard mess that you're carrying right now, you don't have to be thankful for it, but you can choose to give thanks in it because giving thanks is a choice. But what does that look like, right? Like, how do you live that out? How do you give thanks when you don't feel thankful? Well, I think that we can look at the story of Jonah to answer some of those questions. And I only have five minutes, so I'm gonna give you the Cliff Notes version. God asked Jonah to go to a city called Nineveh and to tell all the people there that they're living in sin against the Lord. Feels messy, (laughs) feels hard. Jonah didn't wanna do it. Jonah 1.3 actually says that Jonah went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. So Jonah, he finds these sailors and he hops aboard their ship in an effort to run. But God sends a storm and the sailors realize that the storm in this sea is happening because Jonah has disobeyed the Lord. So they throw him overboard and he gets swallowed by a fish. That's the mess that Jonah is in. (laughs) He's inside the belly of a fish and he spends three days there. And it's here that his heart turns back to the Lord. Jonah, he begins to pray and to thank God for sending this fish to swallow him from the storms of the sea and to rescue him. You see, Jonah found a way to give thanks in the middle of the mess. Like like the actual middle? Yeah, (laughs) okay. (laughs) So Jonah prayed, the fish spit him out, and then again, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, but this time, Jonah obeyed. Jonah's situation didn't change. God still asked him to do the hard thing, but Jonah changed. As he found a way to give thanks in the mess, Jonah's perspective on his situation changed and his response to the Lord changed. You see, gratitude, it may not change your situation, but it will change you in the middle of your situation. You and I, we're gonna have messy seasons of life. Sometimes we'll find ourselves there and sometimes like Jonah, we'll cause them. But either way, we have a choice to make. We can grumble or hide or ask why, or we can choose, like the Bible says, to give thanks in all circumstances. And I believe if we'll make that choice, our perspective on our situation will change and our response to the Lord will change and we will find joy and peace and comfort. Whatever we need from the Lord, we will find it in the middle of the mess. So I can look at the Legos on my floor and the lunches to be packed and the middle of the night wake ups and I can be overwhelmed or I can choose to remember that this is the life I prayed for. I prayed to be a mom. I prayed for these kids. And so I'm gonna give thanks in the middle of every mess that comes along with it. And you can do the same. You can look at the financial tension, the relationship struggle, the diagnosis, the waiting on God to move. And how would it change if your perspective was to give thanks even then? And I know, I know what some of you are thinking today. That's great for you, Brittany, but you don't know what I'm walking through. I have no reason to give thanks right now. And here's what I would say to you, is start with what you do have. God, you put breath in my lungs. You gave me today, you woke me up again. God, you gave me this house. You gave me these friends. God, you trust me with these kids. You trust me with this job. You trust me with this assignment that I am on. God, you trust me with the weight that I am carrying right now. And God, while you may not have answered this prayer yet, you have answered so many before. You are good and you are faithful. And God, if you did nothing else, you sent your son to die on a cross that I might have a friendship with you. You see, I promise if you look around, you'll find a reason to give thanks. So today, 
that messy thing in your life that has been too hard to give thanks for? Will you see what God will do in you if you'll give thanks in it? All right, so we're almost in the month of June, which is crazy because I still feel like we're in the month of March. Anyone else? Just me? No? (laughs) But this is a time that a lot of people choose to rest and unwind from stresses in life. It's a season that we all look forward to, but eventually we all go back to work, we all go back to school, and we wait for the next season to come around to rest again. But today I wanna talk to you about not living for rest and ease, but living from it. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, there is so much you can take from these verses, but I wanna meditate on this thought of taking on the yoke of Jesus and learning from him. What does that mean? What does that look like in my life? And how does that bring rest to me? But to understand what Jesus meant, you have to understand the picture that he's painting us here. See, a yoke was a wooden piece that looked like a harness that attached to two oxen, and as they would plow the field, this right-fitted yoke would make the weight bearable and lighter. It would bring relief to the oxen as they worked. See, some farmers would even attach an old experienced oxen to a young one to train them in the way they should go. A yoke can tie in with this principle of submission, and when you submit to something, you serve it. But church, I believe there are a lot of people in this world submitting to all different kinds of yokes, trying to find relief, trying to find refuge, trying to find rest in, and they are leaving us empty and dry. See, for me, it was the yoke of performance. That if I just did well enough and did good, everything would be okay. I was exhausted trying to carry on so many things, do so many things, and please so many people. I couldn't receive the Father's love, let alone learn from Jesus because I was too busy earning it. Maybe you can relate to me today. Maybe it's the yoke of approval that you're carrying the yoke of fear, or maybe even for some of you, it's the yoke of addiction. Are you tired, weary, burdened? Is the weight too much to carry on your own? I'm standing today to tell you that it's because you were never meant to carry that on your own, church. See, I I learned that when I take off the yoke of performance and I put on the yoke of Jesus, that everything I do has nothing to do with me and everything to do with him and what he is teaching me and where he is leading me. The last thing I wanna leave you with today is this, church. Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, but that does not mean that we will be exempt from carrying the burdens in this life. Pain is unavoidable. Some of you have experienced loss and grief but I believe the Bible also says in Isaiah 40, verse 31, that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. That stay-at-home moms can see what they're doing as worship to the Lord to their children. That students that enter into classrooms in an anxiety-filled culture can have peace. That you, child of God, you who have been running from the Lord, 
can have rest, real rest in Jesus. You see, I believe one way we do that is by taking up our cross daily. And we can't get to know Jesus unless we spend time with him. Intimate time reading his word, believing what he says about us, walking in the ways of Jesus. Church, Jesus' yoke is available to walk in now. His truth is available to speak right into your situation now. And I believe that as we come to him, as we learn from Jesus, the one who overcame the world, and as we seek God's face, that we not only will have life to the fullest, but we will experience real rest. Well, let's jump right in, shall we? Ezekiel 47 is written during a time of great trouble for the nation of Israel. You see, the city of Jerusalem had been attacked, the temple had been destroyed and torn down and its people taken captive. And in the midst of all of this chaos, God gives a vision to a man named Ezekiel, a vision of hope, not just for the Israelites, but for all of mankind. And in this vision, God gives Ezekiel this uh, heavenly tour guide, so to speak, that is showing him around the newly built temple of God. And as Ezekiel is walking around and looking at it, he notices that out of the threshold of the temple, water has started to trickle out. And as he follows it, it gets bigger and bigger, and eventually that trickle of water has become a river. Now, before we go any further, it's important for us to note that often throughout Scripture, rivers are used as a symbol for the presence of God. And so this tour guide is taking Ezekiel. Maybe you've read this passage. He's taking him into the water, and at first they get to a, a place where it's just ankle deep and then, then knee deep, then waist deep. Eventually they go deep enough into the river where they could swim. And it's at this point of reading the Scripture that I felt God whisper to me the question, how deep in my presence, are you willing to follow me? And I think many of us here today, whether you're in the room or at one of our campuses, would respond to that saying, God, however deep you will let me go, I wanna pursue after you, but I think often we forget to factor in what it would cost. I'll explain it this way. So me uh, and my family, we would vacation during the summer at the beach a lot. Me and my brother would love to play out in the ocean. And I'll remember that the moment my mom would need to call us back to shore was the moment that she felt we went so far out that our feet could no longer touch the sand. Why? Because, because when your feet can't touch the sand, that means you are no longer in control. The water is now in control. And I'll be the first to admit that there have been some places in my life where I'm still trying to keep my feet in the sand. There's, there's things I'm still trying to control or hold tightly to because I'm afraid it might turn out differently than how I expected. Because trusting God and giving him control seems uh, great in theory until it starts clashing with my own agenda. Yet God is asking us to, to lay that agenda aside, lay our desires and our wishes aside because I wanna show you something that is far greater than you could ever see or find on your own. But what might be keeping us from experiencing that thing is the very thing that we're trying to hold on to. God is asking us how deep into my presence are you willing to go? And that, that can be a hard thing, giving up control. Why? Because we don't know what's on the other side, right? We don't know how it's gonna turn out. That's why I love that the passage doesn't stop there. 
You see, the river that was flowing from the temple started to head east toward a place called the Dead Sea, a place that is so concentrated by salt that no life is able to be sustained. But here's what the word says, starting in verse eight. It says, when it empties into the sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live there wherever the river flows. There will be large amounts of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. Watch this. So where the river flows, everything will live. What's on the other side of my surrender? What's on the other, other side of me giving God control? It is life and life abundantly. And so God is asking us to, to go deeper into his presence, to give him control, because where he is is everything that we need. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let's take it a step further and, and go to the gospels where Jesus is teaching to a bunch of people. And where is he standing? He's standing in the temple. And he declares these words, anyone who believes in me will have rivers of living water flowing from within them. Why? Because where the river is, everything will live. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you may have life and life to the fullest. And here's the thing is that all of us are at some point in that pursuit, that pursuit of deeper into the presence. Maybe you're here today and you say, I'm, I'm, I'm about waist deep, or maybe I've just started this, I'm, I got my ankles in. Maybe you're here today and you've never even stepped into the water. I wanna tell you that's okay. But today is an invitation. And it's simply an invitation to take a step deeper into his presence and then take another step and then to keep taking steps until we're, we're swimming after God's presence. Amen, amen. Well, somebody say, get low. get low. See, there's some of y'all that thought I was talking about the Little John song. That's not what we're talking about today. Come on, guys. But I do wanna to talk to you today about getting low. You see, a few years ago in my life, I was walking through one of the hardest seasons and my friend Adam, he, he's like an older brother to me. He told me something that I'll never forget. He said this, he said, Kenny, you are prideful. And not in an arrogant way, not in a way where you think that you are better than everyone else. You are prideful because you believe that the things that you're walking through, the problems that you're facing are things that you can solve on your own, that you can do on your own. And the thing about that was that Adam was right. <laughs> Come on, how many of y'all know that you need people in your life that will speak truth into you. That's why community is so important. You see, in that season of my life, I had started to believe that I could bear the burdens that I had been carrying for far too long, that I was strong enough to fix the, broken, the brokenness inside. I, I had not believed that if I just brought my issues to God, that he could bring me the freedom and breakthrough that I wanted. See, there's many of us here today that you're facing mountains in your life that you believe that you can overcome on your own. They might be mountains of addiction. They might be mountains of unforgiveness or anxiety or, or depression. But the thing that I had to learn and the thing that I want you to know today is that in order to overcome these mountains in our lives, we first need to get low. Somebody say, get low. Get low. You see, I'm a product up here of what God can do in your life if you were just to get low. 
You see, his presence changed everything for me. There's a story in Mark 5 that I wanna share with you today about a person that was able to get low. To catch you up in the scripture, Jesus is now on his way to a man named Jairus' house, and Jairus had a daughter that was ill, and in fact, she was dying, and he had begged Jesus to come to his house to save her, to heal his daughter. And Jesus said, say less, and went with him. And this brings us to the scripture that I wanna share with you today in Mark chapter five, verse 24 through 29. It says this, so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there who had been subject for bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. I believe that today, church, that we can learn a lot from this woman. A woman that for 12 years endured suffering. For 12 years, she went from doctor to doctor and received no answer of how she could get better. In fact, she was growing worse. So you can imagine that she spent 12 years living in disappointment, but she heard about Jesus. And when she heard about Jesus, she believed that if she could just get close to him, if she could just get in his presence and touch him, that she would be made whole. See, what this woman was able to do was she was able to get low. Somebody say, get low. Get low. She surrendered what her plans were. She got to a place where she said, I've done all that I can do on my own. I've tried different doctors. I've put my trust in different people. I put my trust in different things, but Jesus, I know I just need a touch from you today. And she got healed. She made whole, his presence changed everything for her. I'm here to tell some people today that the freedom and the breakthrough that you are looking for is not found in things of the world. It's not found in earthly things or, or people we might put our trust in. It's found in the presence of Jesus. And today, church, if we would be people that got low in the presence of Jesus and humble ourselves before his feet, I believe that he can change everything for you. I know he did for me today. For some of us today, getting low looks like giving up some things, giving up some of the things we might view, the shows we might watch, or the music we might listen to. It might look, look like giving up some of the friends that you might surround yourself with. I heard it said like this before that sometimes you need to give up to go up, amen? Yeah. For some of us in this room today, whether you're watching online or at your campus, I believe that getting low might look like forgiving that person that hurt you, that family member, that person that did you wrong. For some of us today, getting low might look like sacrificing some sleep, getting up early so we can get in the word and get into worship. Listen, I don't know what it looks like for you today, but I believe that if we were to get low in the presence of God, that his presence will meet you exactly where you're at. There's this, there's this promise in Corinthians that Riley said earlier that where the spirit of the Lord is that there is freedom. And I believe that God can do in a second the things that you've been praying for and hoping for for years. But first we need to what? We need to get low, amen. Have you ever experienced irrational fear? Like something completely ridiculous causes you to hold your breath while your heart races and your armpits sweat? That's exactly what windmills do to me. 
I have no idea why, but there's something about those enormous blades spinning in the distance that absolutely terrifies me. It's completely irrational fear. They've never caused me any harm. <laughs> On the other hand, there are things that do cause us very real fear. Things like trauma, pain, loss can all leave us paralyzed in fear. If fear has any hold on you, then I'm speaking to you today. I'm also speaking to myself. Let's go to Mark chapter five. Jesus overhears Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, receive the news that his daughter had just passed. Jesus turns to Jairus and says, do not fear, only believe. Then he and his three trusted disciples follow Jairus to his home. Jesus kicks out everybody who doesn't believe his word and then enters the room with a little girl and her parents. And we read in verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talita kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Now I've heard this story a thousand times, typically from the perspective of the little girl in Jesus. She came to life when he spoke the words, little girl, get up. But I ask that you see the story through a different set of eyes the eyes of her parents. You see, it wasn't the faith of the little girl like the woman with the bleeding issue that made her well. Jesus told Jairus, do not fear, only believe. And that's exactly what he and his wife did. It was their belief that allowed that miracle to take place. And when Jesus gave those words to Jairus, he wasn't giving words of comfort. He was giving him an instruction, the answer to his situation. In the original Greek, which Mark and most of the New Testament is written in, the word belief translates as to have confidence in or trust. It was Jesus, it was Jairus and his wife's confidence in their trust in Jesus that opened the door for Jesus to enter their home and heal their daughter. Now, are there any parents in the room? Quite a few, me too. I have four kids, ages 21 in a week, 19, 14, and 12 year old boys. And I have to admit that I too often live the opposite of do not fear, only believe. I freak out. I try to take control in the storms of my life, especially in this specific season of parenthood. But something this story has revived in me that I pray revives in you or plants new in you is a firm trust in Jesus. I'm learning instead of sitting in my fear that I can speak truth into my situation by simply declaring the words, I trust you, Jesus. And maybe you have reason to fear. Jairus and his wife had reason to fear. Their daughter had just died. And maybe death has touched your child. And I don't mean a physical death. I mean something in them has died. Maybe their confidence, their dreams, their identity, their faith. Or maybe you've walked through a season that has left thick scars or you're carrying fresh wounds. Me too. So this isn't irrational fear. Maybe we have reason to fear, but in Jesus, we have reason to fear not. And he does not ask us to trust him blindly either. My own 40 years of life is full of evidence of his goodness and faithfulness. I stand here healed from the trauma of my childhood. I stand here with a marriage not just restored, but made into something greater than anything I could have ever asked for. I stand here with the memories of how Jesus opened the eyes of my unbelieving husband after praying for him for 15 years. Had I stayed stuck in fear, I would have missed out on all of those miracles. 
but don't just take my word for it. We've got a greater word right here. And this says that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he has good plans for us. He is our redeemer. Jesus is a promise keeper. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He gave his life to save us, and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we can confidently confess, I trust you, Jesus. If you are needing a miracle for you or someone in your life, I lend you that confession. In the middle of the mess, I trust you, Jesus. In the middle of the pain, I trust you, Jesus. In the middle of the fear, I trust you, Jesus. Every year I choose a psalm that I reflect on, and this year is Psalm 27. And I love this part of the chapter. It says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I love this verse because the author David isn't talking about materialistic things that'll make us feel good, but he's talking about a quality of life. He's talking about a life that is marked by God's joy, love, and peace. And I don't know about you, but I want to experience some level of goodness here on earth, if not a lot. But what I realized is that for many of us, you would say that that doesn't quite match the reality I'm experiencing. You would say that, yes, I want goodness, but right now I'm experiencing a high level of anxiety. Or maybe for you, it's the financial burden and habits you can't seem to get over. Or maybe it's the child that has walked away from the Lord that you so desperately want to come back. And going through difficult things can make us believe that this goodness is unreachable for us. That, yeah, he might have meant that for someone, but not me. And I want to propose to you today that the goodness of the Lord is reachable for all of us regardless of where we stand. So if we want goodness, but we don't believe to be experiencing that, how do we get there? How do we walk towards that? I believe that David lays this out for us in the rest of the psalm. If we continue reading Psalm 27, it says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. And this um, passage isn't talking about a passive waiting, but this is talking about an active waiting. It's waiting expectantly for something. Many y'all are parents in the room. You would know how a kid is on Christmas Eve. They're excited for the next morning. They're anticipating it. When we wait on God, we set our hope and our anticipation on him. In other words, we remain with God. And for many of you in the room or the campuses viewing online, you would say, I have waited. I have waited for my prayer to be answered and I haven't got it. I have waited for the healing year after year and I still haven't received it. And that can lead you to a place of a lot of frustration, of anger and bitterness, and it can make you lose hope. But I just wanna say, if we wanna be people that see the goodness of the Lord, then we must remain with God through it all, through the frustration, through the pain, through the anger, through the confusion, and even through the unknown. This principle of remaining with God, this isn't just found in Psalm 27, but it's all over the Bible. 
In John 15, Jesus himself says, if you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Again, in Matthew 6, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. And the things that will be added to you are the things that you have been longing for. It is the joy that you have been longing for. It is the peace that you have been longing for. It is the goodness that you have been longing for. God is not withholding these things from you. Hear me. He wants you to experience them here on earth and I believe that we want these things and we want to experience it but what do we do when we feel like we're in the in-between and there's many ways that you can remain with God but the one that has impacted me the most is prayer prayer is what centers your heart on God what pushes you to remain in him and it doesn't have to look like eloquent words or hours on end, but it's simple. It's just a conversation from your heart to God's. And practically what this can look like is taking your drive to work, your morning coffee, or just setting aside 15 minutes to dedicate your heart and time to pray to Him. But here's the truth, church. The greatest gift of remaining with God is not the goodness that you receive, it's God Himself. The greatest gift is not the peace that you receive, it is God himself. The greatest gift that you receive is not joy, it is God himself. It's not the goodness. The greatest gift that we receive and remaining is that we get God himself. If we wanna see the goodness of the Lord, then we must remain with God. Come on, church family, can you show these amazing communicators how appreciative you are? Oh, come on, let them hear today, church. So good. Wow. That was amazing. Seriously, I'm not just, that was incredible. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being in the Word. Thank you for seeking God. Thank you for losing sleep. <laughs> Thank you for doing the work that it takes that we did not just hear from you, we heard from God today. And we are so grateful. Come on, one more time, let's give it up for these amazing communicators. Man, we have a blessed house, right? You know, maybe you think that you just heard six different messages, but I don't know if you heard the theme, there was actually only one theme, and it was all about the hope that's found in Jesus. I love what, what Lexi said, you know, being in God's presence is not just about getting the miracles, the healings, the families being restored, and all of those things are amazing, but the greatest thing that you can get from God is God himself. Because it's in his presence that you find everything that you need. These six amazing people on this platform did not just preach this message because they, have, they live out a religion or because they're on staff here at the church or because their parents did it. No, they did it because they have a relationship with Jesus. And I specifically wanna to talk to some people in the room and online at whatever campus you might be attending that maybe you've done the checkbox thing and this has become a religion to you, I wanna invite you today to step from that into a space of having a relationship 
with the person of Jesus. He's the one who changed their lives. He's the one who's changed my life. And he's the one, if you let him in today, will change your life. And the greatest thing that you could leave with in this place today is God. But how do you get God is through Jesus. Jesus clearly says, he says, I am the way. I am the door to get to God. And I want to give you this opportunity to respond to that message today with every head bowed and every eyes closed at every campus and where you can online. I want to give you that opportunity to respond. Maybe you saw yourself in this message today. Maybe your heart is racing. Maybe you're feeling something you never felt before. I want to tell you that's God. And he's calling you not to a religion, but to a relationship. And all you have to do is what the Bible says in Romans 10. It says if you would only confess with your mouth and you would just believe it in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Or in other words, you will be able to start a relationship with him. So here's what we're going to do in a moment. I'm going to count to three. And I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand high enough, long enough for me to see or your campus pastors or host to see. And here's what I can promise you. Nobody's coming to you. Nobody's going to embarrass you. We're not going to single you out. I promise you we will not do that. We just want to know who we're praying with and for. And, and by you raising your hand, it's like a, like a faith-bold moment that I'm drawing the line in the sand and I'm starting my relationship with Jesus today. So at every campus, this is you. I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to count to three and I want you to slip up your hand so that we can all pray out loud together. One, two, three. Come on, would you slip up your hands? Thank you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Come on, all over the room. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I see you. You can put your hands down now. Church, can we pray this prayer out loud for the benefit of those who've never prayed this prayer before? Everybody say, Jesus, I need you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Today, I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. I believe that you lived. I believe that you died. And I believe that you were raised from the dead. And from this moment forward, I will live for you. In Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said amen and amen. Oh, come on, church, let's celebrate all those people who just placed their faith in Jesus today. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Feel free to rate, review, and share with a friend. If you'd like to find out how you can get involved or partner with us financially, visit lifepoint.org or download the LifePoint app. Thank you for your generosity. We can do so much more together than we ever could apart. See you soon.